It's Monday night, just past 7 o'clock, and here we go. Time for Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and going to be a good one tonight, Ira. You're not in studio, but I believe next week we've got you back live here in West Palm. Correct, yes. But uh, I am so excited. You know, the sports is just coming and it's just so fast and furious, and it is just great. It is just, it, I thought Sunday, with all the activity, I know how much I love the NBA, and I just love watching all these games, and there's this golf and tennis now starting. Uh, just crazy. I mean, just a, just a crazy time. We knew it was going to happen, and it's just great to be here and see this. And we'll talk about um, all the scheduling here more in just a couple of minutes, but um, first, we have a huge guest tonight, and, and we've had you know dozens of, of amazing guests uh, throughout the years, but tonight's a little bit special because... He He's kind of riding high. Tell us about Jim Herman. Well, Jim was, we had him on before the Honda Classic where we had uh, Greg Chalmers and, and uh, Kevin Mitchell, Keith Mitchell uh, on for the show before the Honda Classic. Uh, Jim then, you know, he's someone who's now just won two weeks ago at the Wyndham in Greensboro. He won his third PGA Tour title over Billy Herschel. So he made, come, he made it to the uh, uh, um, match this past weekend in that Boston and now he qualified again to go to BMW in Chicago. So maybe he gets to the Tour Championships, but we're going to have him on the show. Talked about winning the tournament last week and uh, the fact that he's been in, you know, he's in the mix now uh, with the top 70 golfers that are still playing. So it's exciting to talk to Jim. I'm glad he's going to come back on our show. Yeah, I can't wait for that. That'll be coming up uh, just a little while on Ira on Sports. He does live in Palm City as well. You know, we've got all these golfers in South Florida. So he's kind of a local guy. We'll always be supporting him. He's a good friend of the show. Ira, you talked about it earlier. Maybe just run down for us the schedule of all what's going on throughout sports because it's hectic and it's hard to keep up. Well, U.S. Open, this week as you turn on TV, you're like, what's on ESPN? What's this tennis? It's the Western Southern Open. It used to be in Cincinnati, but in a couple weeks before, like a middle August, and now it is going to be, it's like the preview for the U.S. Open. That's what's on TV now. The U.S. Open starts next week. No fans, but it, and really none of the top women players except Serena will be there going for her 24th uh, title to tie Margaret Court uh, for all-time Grand Slam wins. Uh, but Djokovic will be there, no Nadal, no Federer. Um, but that's going to be some 31st to the 13th. The BM Championship Golf is this weekend. It's the, it's the second playoff of the FedEx playoffs, and that means the, the Tour Championships is the following week. That's in Atlanta. People remember that's the one that Tiger won two years ago and when all the fans came down that was a big thing Kentucky Derby Labor Day weekend September 5th on a Saturday uh, and then we get NFL starting September 10th on that Thursday night and the, the first Sunday is September 13th but we have college football the ACC and Big 12 are going to be the 12th and the 19th uh, Miami opens on the 10th uh, then U.S. Open golf is on September 17th through the 20th now am- amongst all this the NHL playoffs the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball regular season starting their play, the playoffs, and then the 26th, you know, for people who say, oh, the only sports that matter is the SEC football, then you're getting SEC football on the 26th. And for someone like me who loves tennis, French Open is on the 27th. This all goes on. NASCAR is going to have their playoffs, what normally goes on the, the final 10 NASCAR races. But what a month. I mean, really, what a two months of sports between every, I think every imaginable sport is going to be playing in them over the next two months. Yeah, and like you said, even with all that going on and wedging the Kentucky Derby in there, it's just bizarre. It's going to be a September like uh, we've never had before, obviously, and uh, we're looking forward to all of this. But I don't know if I'm looking forward to college football or what, Ira, and I think that we kind of haven't learned anything from last week. Well, I think the only thing that's, that's in is that they, they, they released the poll. 
And the poll has Ohio State at 2, Penn State at 7, Oregon at 9, Wisconsin at 12, Michigan at 16, USC at 17, Minnesota at 19, Utah 22, and Iowa at 24. All those teams aren't playing. It's hard to have a poll you know, with all those teams. We still have the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 playing. Uh, Miami just announced today the Hurricanes are going to be playing with fans, with like 13,000 fans, along with the Dolphins. So, I mean, I got some criticism last week. I know some of my some of our listeners didn't like when I said this is really setting back the Big Ten. If they if these schools play, um, just give me an example about Penn State because you know I'm a humongous Penn State fan. If Penn State sits out this year and doesn't play, and the ACC Pitt is they recruit the same players. Pittsburgh's there, Penn State they're only two hours apart. If Pitt plays, if West Virginia plays, they're going after players that Penn State has. Same thing in, you know, so that really affects it with the ACC playing. Uh, I know right now Penn State is losing recruits to these other schools, and I know that Penn State's losing players on their team that are getting talked to that are going to be potentially transferring at the end of the year on their team. It's going to set these teams back. So, number, that's why you're seeing the Ohio State players and the Penn State players and the families going to the Big Ten offices trying to plead with a way to play because they're seeing that the ACC and SEC and the Big 12 are, are planning on playing. I think when the Big Ten made their decision, they felt like everyone was going to follow. They haven't, and uh, that's going to be the big issue with college football. But it looks like you know, there's no ACC and the SEC and Big 12 are starting uh, September 10th. And we're excited about that because we will have uh, football in South Florida, as you said, you know, with, with uh, Miami down here. So you brought up Miami. And this is something that I don't know how they're going to do this, but I believe in the NFL. They're talking about it as well. The Dolphins plan on having fans, and so do the Hurricanes. Right. 13,000 fans uh, entering different times of the game. It'll be Buffalo at Miami September 20th, and they're going to have season ticket holders. They'll get in. They'll be separated. There's an entire – they won't have to go through screening. I was nervous always about the screening. It's when it goes to a million sporting events and it stands outside forever trying to get in with the security as someone tries to get their cell phone out of their wallet and they go through five times. But anyway, that's you're just going to walk through uh, security, and that's going to be the metal detector. They're going to detect things, the new metal detector. Um, but uh, there are no tailgating. We'll see what happens. Uh, half, uh, half of the team said no fans at all, but now you're having some teams like the Dolphins say maybe 13,000 fans on September 20th, Buffalo at Miami. Uh, it be very interesting. And I think the uh, UAB is playing at Miami Hurricanes, too, uh, early before that. So we'll see. Uh, the Hurricanes might even not get 13,000 fans for that game anyway, even if it's before COVID. But, uh, but it'll be interesting to see with the Dolphins and whether they can pull this off and, uh, and if it works. Ira, let's, I got to tell you, I don't know why there is like really no fanfare at all for this last NBA draft lottery. I didn't realize it was happening until my phone started going off and people saying the Knicks got the eighth pick and that they got hosed. Is it, this should have been a time where we, people were really focused on this with the lack of sports and, you know, as it's just getting kicked back up. But you think maybe it was the lack of uh, high-end talent available in the draft that people weren't as into it as they have been in the past? Because to me, it kind of just went by the wayside. Well, I think if there's so much going on with sports, I think the fact is, yeah, there's no high end, there's no LeBron James, uh, there's no someone, there's no one, someone, someone that is going to like shape a team. I saw Anthony Edwards of Georgia play I think five times this year. I was completely not impressed with him. James Wiseman of Memphis played like five, six games and then got suspended for taking money and those things. And he's a nice player, but none of these. No Milo Bell played in Australia five games. He's Lonzo's brother. LeVar's son. I mean, none of these guys that get you all excited. The interesting thing is that Golden State is number two. Golden State next year is going to have a Curry back, Thompson, Draymond Green, the core of their team. Andrew Wiggins is going to be on the team. The the core of the team that uh, won all the titles – 
if they can add someone, will they trade the pick? Will they bring Wiseman in maybe as someone? It'll be interesting what Golden State does with that number two pick. Uh, but short of that, yeah, I mean, the Knicks, of all the years for the Knicks to actually you know, fall back in the lottery, probably not missing anyone. And you're watching the NBA playoffs. All these players that are playing great, uh, they were picked between 10 and 20. So uh, the point is, just pick better. I mean, we're just talking about uh, Oklahoma City, uh, Shea Gillis-Alexander. Uh, he, he played on the team that uh, Kevin Knox played on with Kentucky. The Knicks picked, I think, ninth with Knox, and uh, Gillis-Alexander went 11th. Knox is going to probably be out of the league in a few years, and SGA might be one of the top players in the league in a few years. So just they made the wrong pick. You know, so it's just because you're picking a little later doesn't mean you can't get these superstars like Giannis, uh, Donovan Mitchell, or players that we're seeing play well. I mean, even Luka didn't go first. Yeah, and you know, it, it, it's funny that you bring that up because looking back at the last decade, look at all the teams that have picked first. You've got Phoenix, Philly twice, the Cavaliers three times, Minnesota. None of these teams have gone anywhere with these number one overall picks. So it, 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 basketball is funny like that. It's just a different kind of draft. Do you want to just run down uh, how the uh, lottery ended up shaking out? Yeah, I mean, just real quick, it's going to be uh... – um, Minnesota, a golden Minnesota, which has an interesting team with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. What they have, they where they go with Ball at number one potentially. Again, Golden State, Charlotte, Chicago, uh, Cleveland, Atlanta, Detroit, and New York. Uh, you know, besides I said, I think the team that we're interested maybe Atlanta if you pair someone without Trey Young, but I just don't see any decision the difference makers in this draft uh, uh, right now. Maybe two, three years from now, you'll develop one of these players. But uh, people like this Anthony Edwards, and I, I just wasn't impressed. I wasn't impressed with anybody, any of these guys I saw. Uh, there's an Israeli player who I've never seen play uh, that potentially could be another Luca. So we'll see how well he could come in. It would be uh, exciting to see an Israeli player come into the league. But the short of that, he was projected to be about fourth or fifth uh, pick. But besides that, it's just that, that we'll see what the Knicks pick. And but it, you know, I think right now the focus is on the playoffs and the games that are going on right now. You're listening to Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. We'll have uh, PGA Tour winner Jim Herman joining us in just a couple of minutes here on Ira on Sports. Okay, let's go to basketball, Ira and. Going out to the West, I don't think anybody planned on the Mavericks being all tied up with the Clippers, and they are based off some heroic odds yesterday from Luka Doncic. Well, as someone like me who's not a fan of Kawhi Leonard because of load management, I love this. I think it's great. <laughs> I'm very excited with it. I after we did our um, our show last week, I had a, I'm on a fantasy NBA draft. And I had the third pick, so I picked Anthony Davis from the Lakers, and that was a great pick. It's a no-brainer. You have to pick like someone like that. But then I came around, and what players do you take, like the fifth-best player on the Lakers that's a cumulative total, or do you pick another player? And I'm like, you know, I think the Mavericks might have a chance. So I picked Luka. So I have Luka, and then I picked a bunch of the Heat. So I, don't, I lost Butler and Adebayo, but I have Drogic, and I have Hero, and I have Iguodala and Crowder. So I got the rest of the Heat players. But if I could get Dallas, so right now I'm leading my fantasy at 15 players. If I can get Luka through with Carter, I actually had on my team, then I'm be great. But I mean, we, we saw uh, the first game, uh, the Clippers, Mavs, the first game, uh, Doncic, 42 points, seven assists, seven rebounds, nine assists uh, in his first postseason game. They would have won the game, but Persingas, the stupidest thing. Yeah. This reminds me years ago when Clemens got ejected in a, in a playoff game. Like, I, it was like, it was not a fight. It was he just arguing. You don't take the second best player of a team off and lose. Uh, because Dallas comes back in game two, and uh, Persingas had 23 points, Doncic, 28, and uh, uh, just blew out the Clippers, 127-114. And uh, then they were. Then the Clippers came back in the game three. 
and this is where Paul George was playing terrible. But I mean, I was dying watching this game because I was, of course, rooting for Dallas. Kawhi was great. I criticized Kawhi all the time. He had 36 points, nine boards, eight assists, just making every big shot. And the problem is, Doncic, he, he hurt his ankle. He's limping around. He's trying to play, not trying to play. He only had, he had triple double, 13, 10, and 10. Uh, he became the third youngest player behind uh, Magic Johnson uh, to have a triple double. He's only 21 years old. Uh, but then everything, so proceeding that series, everything came down to yesterday's game. And I'm, I'm actually listening, I'm watching the uh, 8500, watching this game on a boat, and I'm like in and out on uh, signals. And just, I mean, the Clippers go up 21 in the first half, you think the game's over. The Mavs go up 12 in the fourth quarter. But it was just tremendous back and forth at the end of the game. Uh, Kawhi Leonard had a chance to win the game before it went to overtime. It goes into overtime, and Lukic scored another basket, another basket. And finally, Morris, uh, for the Clippers, hits this three to go up by one. Luka <laughs> comes down with nine seconds to go. Leonard is on him, of course, the best, you know, arguably the best defensive player in basketball. But they switch on defense when they set a pick. So then Reggie Jackson goes on Luca. Luca steps back, drains a three, game over. He finished with 43 points, 17 rebounds, 13 assists. Just a great win. Tied the series up 2-2. He's averaging 31 points, 10.5 rebounds, and 10 assists for the series. And uh, the key thing for the Clippers is Paul George is a disaster. He's only averaging 15 points a game, 29% shooting. He's 6 for 30 the last two games, and it's been a complete mess. Kawhi's played great. But, boy, this would be uh, – anybody gets a chance to watch this series, it's just great. I mean, Luka Doncic is just the future of basketball. He's 21 years old, and he's just so fun to watch. Uh, and it's just and, and a clutch. Now we're seeing the clutch performer come in. So just a, they're a fun team. They shoot threes. They play hard. They run the offenses. Uh, I, I I think this is great. I'm just look on the paper. The Clippers should win this, but I'm I'm rooting for Dallas. Yeah, no. Listen, I'm totally on board with Dallas now too, and that's even being a Knicks fan, having lost uh, Chris Haps Porzingis. I don't even care. I, I want these guys to win. They're just so fun to watch every night. And um, and Hardaway and, and yeah, Tim Hardaway Jr. Hardaway. I mean, it's just amazing in that trade. They gave Porzingis and Hardaway away and got absolutely nothing. <laughs> That's a classic Knicks trade. That's what we'd like to call that. Um, another series I thought was going to be really good, and it has been, but it's starting to get out of hand here, is Utah and Denver, as Utah now has a three-game-to-one lead. Well, I misread this series a little bit because I felt like Denver was missing. Their two of their players are Will Barton and Gary Harris, who most people don't know, but they're actually two of their top six players. And I'm thinking, well, they'll overcome them. They have uh, Jamal Murray, and they have uh, Jokic. Uh, Nicole Jokov at their center, and I'm like, that's enough. That'll be enough because I knew the Jazz didn't have Michael Conley Jr., who was uh, with the, the birth of his, uh, I think, his son. So he was out of the bubble for those period of times. But uh, in the first game, what I guess that's the, that was last Monday. That's when Mitchell scored 57 points. He's the third. It was the third highest scoring in a playoff. Jordan at 63, Elgin Baylor 61, and Jamal Murray had 36 points, 20 in the fourth quarter, and they let the, they, the Nuggets end up beating the Jazz. But boy, the Jazz came back. I mean, they killed Denver game two and game three. Two blowouts. Michael Conley came back for game three in 25 minutes at 27 points, seven for eight, the three point line. And remember before COVID started, who was the player that got it? Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert for the Jazz has COVID. He was 
reckless, touching the mics in the locker room, and then Donovan Mitchell got COVID. So people are saying, oh, there's this feud between Gobert and Mitchell, and their coach was saying, look, they made up, there's no issue, no issue. Everybody kept saying all that, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Gobert never get along. Well, boy, they are playing. This team might be the most unified team, and uh, and, and they played great. They went up 2-1, and then last, uh, then yesterday, uh, the Jazz won 129-127. Uh, I mean, I rushed home, and I'm like driving, and I saw this game. I mean, it was the first game ever that two players scored 50 points. Mitchell had 51 points, uh, only uh, a Wilt. I think it was only Wilt and uh, Jordan have had two 50-point games in a series and, and Donovan Mitchell. And Murray had 50 points. I mean, just crazy back-and-forth shooting. Uh, great win for the Jazz. And now they're, they're up 3-1 in a series. And uh, in, in one of those, I mean, you know, upsetting. Remember, the Jazz were the, were the sixth seed and Denver was the third seed. But, but Donovan Mitchell, two years ago, had this great playoff run. Last year was a little down. He was from Louisville. I think he was like the uh, 12th or 13th player taken in the draft. But he is emerging. You know, two 50-point games in a series, emerging a superstar, and not just shooting the threes. I mean, he's driving and dunking and making rebounds and assists. What a great player to watch, and uh, just uh, I'm excited to see. Let's see you know, if the Jazz end up uh, winning this series, then they would end up playing the Clipper, uh, the Clipper Maverick uh, winner, and, uh, and that'll be another great series. Yeah, Donovan uh, Mitchell, 13th pick uh, in the 2017 draft there out of Louisville, and um, Jamal Murray's same thing. He's he's a ninth pick, I think. So you're like you said before, we're making the point that you don't always need that top pick to uh, to look good in basketball. Um, let's go to the Lakers in Portland series, and this is one I kind of. I had a lot of faith in Portland, and I still do to an extent. But after a bad first game, the Lakers have gotten it together. Well, it was a horrendous first game for the Lakers. I mean, it was 89-89 with two minutes left. Lillard hits a 36-foot shot. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, a three-point shot. And then Gary Trent Jr., a three-point shot. Uh, it was funny. At the end of the game, Portland's playing with like six players, and five, four of them had five fouls. Uh, Anthony Davis had just two points in the fourth quarter. They were horrendous, eight for 24. Uh, the Lakers were five for 32 from three. Uh, and then everyone's like, boy, the Lakers, it's a disaster, it's a disaster. Look, I've seen enough about LeBron. And one thing I know about LeBron, and that's the difference between Jordan, he has clunkers in the playoffs. Like, there's been situations where LeBron hasn't played well. So I wasn't putting, you know, as much as I was, like, rooting for Portland a little in the series, even though for fantasy-wise I wanted Davis, um, I felt they were going to come back. And, boy, game two just blew them out. They were up by 30 at the end of three. And the only stupid thing that Portland did was that they're up by 30 and Lillard's in the game, and he dislocates his finger. Uh, there was no need to get hurt by that. And then they also lost Zach Collins, who uh, it was hurt also thought he was going to come back, but he was out. So already Portland was playing with maybe like seven guys. They went down to – now they've down to six. Um, but in, then, then in game three, uh, the, in game three, the, late, the Portland went with a rotation. You got Whiteside and Nurkic playing. So actually, this is a weird series. You got two – Big centers that are both playing in that in both teams, uh, and the Lakers. It was closer than Game Two. They ended up winning by eight. They were they blew it out in the third quarter, forty to twenty nine. Uh, Lillard and McCollum played well. Carmelo Anthony had twenty points, but LeBron. It was a, look. This is it has to be LeBron and Anthony Davis. LeBron was eleven for eighteen. Davis was eleven eighteen. They both had eight assists. Both had eleven boards. Uh, both scored nearly thirty points. So that was the that was the game. And, it, and it, it, you're starting to see what the I still don't think the Lakers are shooting well from three, and I think that's going to be their problem. They were 10 for 30 this last game, but it doesn't seem like Portland can take advantage of that. And But we'll see. It's still just 2-1. It's, it's still 2-1. Portland's a chance tonight to even at 9 o'clock tonight. Let's uh, look at Oklahoma City and Houston as we wrap up the West here. Um, Houston's up 2-1 to one here, Ira, and I, I think that they should be able to keep their foot on the gas from here. 
you know, I thought the weird thing about this series is there's no Westbrook for Houston. So you're thinking no Westbrook. Um, there might be a problem, but, but Oklahoma City, as I expected, really didn't play well. I mean, they're getting, uh, they're just, the, uh, Chris Paul did not even play well the first couple of games. So we're seeing Shea Gillick, Gildas Alexander had 31 points in game two. Uh, and there's been points where, like game two, the Rockets went on a 17 nothing run with Harden on the bench, uh, to blow that game out. But game three, it seems like Houston, they were up by five with a minute 28 left and they let, they let Oklahoma City come back into that game, tie it, and then they got blown out. Then Harden tied that first time all year. And then OKC had the first 11 points in overtime and won that game to, to make it 2-1. So that series should have been 3-0. You know, 3-0 and 2-1 is huge. And, and we're taping this show right now at 4, so the Houston uh, game goes on right now, but Houston has a chance to go up 3-1 uh, in that. But it was like one of those things where they could have closed it out today. And certainly in, in this series, like these series, like when you're playing every other day, I mean, do you realize that in the times past, there would have been like two or three games off. They're trying to put all these games in over like a three-week window for the first round. Boy, they're just playing every other game. And the Toronto series, Boston series, is starting on Thursday. They're not waiting for all the series to end before starting the other series because they want these games, they want the playoffs to end as quickly as possible. Um, so it, you really don't want your series to extend, uh, and that's what the Heat have to do tonight, which is end this series against the Pacers. Um, okay, let's move to the East. And Ira, you know that we're we're big Miami Heat supporters on this show. I got to tell you, I didn't think it was going to be going this smoothly for them. I expected them to win, but I didn't see them being up 3-0 and really having uh, the Pacers, you know, with their back to the wall. Well, that, that was the one series. When you saw that Ben Simmons was out for the Sixers, I really didn't think uh, the Philadelphia could pose any problems. And that's what's so interesting about this, uh, the whole playoffs. The West has these compelling series could go either way. The East had just two – I mean – the East should have uh, four uh, um, uh, sweeps <laughs> because if Miami wins tonight, they're a sweep. Orlando, the, the game that Orlando beat Milwaukee is the biggest upset I've seen in years. And Boston swept their series, and Toronto swept their series. Uh, so I, it, it could have been four sweeps in the East, but it leads to four very compelling second round matchups. Uh, but Miami, look. Everything we said last week, what I think Miami should do, I, I feel like I should get credit a little bit for what I was saying, what they should, you know. One of the things that people talk about in the playoffs to make it a little different was that young players, they don't play well. They play well at home, but they play poorly on the road. And the Heat, of course, have a lot of these young players. And, but there's no road, so they should still be playing well. But I said no matter what that case was, I felt that Keldon Hendrick Nunn, who was very good with all the all rookie team, I felt that you had to play Drogic at a point. Drogic had to start. I thought it was just imperative. And I just, I know Derek Jones Jr. got injured, but I think that his minutes had to be cut back a little. I wanted to see the veterans play more. And boy, it's like the Heat were just doing this, planning this all year. I mean, I'm just going to jump to Game Three because they're up three zero in the series. But you have uh, um, Butler played 37 minutes. He had 27 points. He's 30 years old. 58 playoff games from Chicago, Minnesota, Philadelphia. Jay Crowder, 28 minutes playing, he had 11 points. He's 30 years old. He had 54 playoff games in Dallas, Boston, Utah. I mean, that's the one thing that these that he had all this playoff experience. They have Goran Dragic. He's played 35 playoff games with Phoenix and Miami. Uh, he's 34 years old. And then Andre Godala, 145 playoff games between Sixers and Warriors, 36 years old, plus Kelly Olynyk, who is 29 years old. So they have those five veterans, 
And then you bring your star, Bama Bio, who's, uh, who played, is only 23 years old, and really does not the playoff experience, and then Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, who's had played great, and, and Derek Jones Jr. But I like the fact that they are, it's, they're a perfect blend between these veteran players and also these younger players that you can see where this, the future for the Heat is great. But the future is now. This team could win the title this year. As we're watching all these other teams play, you've got to get excited by them. And look, Miami's, uh, Indiana's a good team. Indiana's a very good team. And I just like how the, the Heat have been no nonsense and playing great. And, and it comes to Goran Dragic, the first game, 24 points, four for nine from threes. Um, and then in game two, they won 109, 100. Duncan Robinson starts out hot, seven for eight. Uh, he made hit three three pointers, twenty four points in like the first quarter, uh, and, and Drogic again twenty points, six assists. Butler played a good game. Uh, it's just perfect how they're starting the game with Duncan Robinson, but ending it with Tyler Hero, who can handle the ball better. And we missed a little Hero this year; is injured in and out. But boy, he you can just see the future for all these uh, Heat the young Heat players. Just play great in the end. Such a, and then uh, game three that was weird. The first half the Heat were up seventy four fifty six. They made eleven three pointers the highest scoring half in team's history in the playoffs and then they left the Pacers back in the game uh, but they ended up holding up and winning the game uh, but I just think that uh, you know you're starting to see Bam Adebayo he and Giannis are the only two players in the league that have 15 points 10 rebounds 5 assists 1 steal and 1 block And but I think the key to this team you see Butler you see Drogic, you see Crowder making, and Andre Godala. These veterans that are there, they know how to play this game. They've been in the playoffs before, and that's why I really like them against Milwaukee. I mean, they're probably going to close out today. They'll play Milwaukee in that first round and the second round, and there's no look. The Heat can go to the NBA Finals. Um, I think they made a lot of moves. Pat Riley's a genius. Eric Spolster's a great coach. This is uh, this could be the year for the Heat to uh, he could get another championship out of this year. No, absolutely, and I've been saying that since the beginning that that I think they could beat any team in the East on any given night. And it does go, you know, to, to your point about is there a better architect in all of sports than Pat Riley? Granted, basketball is a smaller sample size, like smaller teams, but nobody puts better guys on the floor and puts them in a position to win like Pat Riley does, and that's what we're seeing with these. Great veteran ads on top of undrafted guys, on top of guys he's built up from within. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, the, the, he's turning Justice Winslow. I mean, he made all these trades. All these plays were coming in. We didn't know what was happening. All this, and they sign Andre Iguodala and, like, whatever. And then he doesn't. He comes to the Heat, doesn't play much. You know, Andre Iguodala is playing, like, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 12 minutes. Suddenly he's now playing 20 minutes. You know, now he's playing more. And he's, but he only scores two points. You're like, oh, well, he only scored two points. But watch the game. Watch what he does on yeah. the court. Watch how they're making the smart plays. Watch how they're outplaying. I mean, the Pacers have uh, you know, Malcolm Brogdon, great players, had a couple uh, amazing games. But the point is, is that they have played they, they play the heat are now playing very smart um and and i think it's 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 to the veterans and the fact is they're they're not putting the pressure on the duncan robinson the tyler heroes even the bam out of bios to win this game the veterans are stepping up and letting the 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 rookies per se bam's not a rookie but actually play very key roles in this team um, and yeah, and like Ira said, that they will have their chance tonight to close this one out against the Indiana Pacers. Uh, let's talk about Milwaukee, the number one seed here. And after that, just egregious game one, they've really buckled down and it looks like they're ready to uh, keep rolling. Yeah, they, I mean, Giannis has been scoring. I mean, the problem with the problem with the Bucks, they haven't been shooting well. I mean, Middles, Chris Middleton, who's their uh, all-star player, was one for eight in game two. Uh, he uh, game one, he was 
just non-existent. And then game three started scoring more, but it was uh, it was just weird. I mean, to blow they, there was no reason for that. They've been rusty in this bubble format. They said there hasn't been a sense of urgency. Unfortunately, almost like the Heat. I wish we played the Bucks the first round. I think if the Heat played the Bucks first round, they might have You know, they might have been winning in five games. Uh, they are they are not sharp. They are not. They're getting. They're healthy, but they're not sharp. This Magic team is terrible. I mean, they, they lost Aaron Gordon's their best player. He's out. Jonathan Isaac's their second best player. He's out. I mean, it's just like the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, they really are playing with a lot of players down. And uh, and, and Nikolai Vukacek is just <laughs> great. I mean, he's draining threes. He's their big center at 35 points the first game, 32 the second. Uh, even today, he played he played great. But it's just like even today, you think the Bucks they're up 2-1. They're going to go up 3-1. And they, and they let the Magic cut it to three uh, like the, in the beginning of the fourth. It was just it was crazy that the Bucks even let the Magic in the game. Just not an impressive performance at all. Uh, and but from a Heat fans' perspective, I'm excited. I, this Bucks team is beatable, and this is a team that uh, was like 51, and you know they, they had only nine losses. Uh, they were they were playing great during the whole year. Just an amazing uh, before the bubble. But it seems like they've lost that edge coming after the bubble. And uh, I think they they are just. The Heat, they do not play. The Bucks' weakness is they do not guard the three-point shot well. I mean, they are terrible in a three-point defense. And, of course, what did the Heat do? Shoot a lot of threes. So I think the Heat have a great chance to beat the Bucks in the series. I don't know what the odds are going to be, but I would bet the Heat to beat the Bucks. You're absolutely right, too. I think if they got them in the first round here and Milwaukee came out like they did and kind of stumbled out of the gate, I think the Heat would have taken complete advantage. And you're right. I think that would have been a better first-round matchup for them. Um, an easy first-round matchup for Toronto was Brooklyn, and they rolled through this one. Oh, it was it, – but I got to give Brooklyn credit. I want to tell you something. They are down eight of their top ten players. Yeah. And, they, I mean, not only did they have Durant and Kyrie who didn't play, and Didwitty, who was their other star, but they lost a lot – they lost the reserve players that played with them. And then Joe Harris, who was their, maybe their second-best player, had his grandmother died, and he left the bubble. So there was a point where they were really playing with just G League players. And I give them credit. I mean, they played really hard. Jock Vaughn, their coach, did great. And Atkinson, uh, Kenny Atkinson, the coach before him, they set this team up. This Toronto team. Get back to what I said about Kyrie. This team has enough pieces that if Kyrie and Durant can play at a, their elite level like they're supposed to, they should be the favorite to win the East. They should be a favorite to win the title next year. Um, they don't need to add anything else. They're a very good team, and they play extremely hard. But you got to like, boy, Toronto. When you watch how Toronto plays, boy, they could – I mean, that's where – they are going to have trouble against Toronto. I mean, Fred Van Sleet, who everyone is like, oh, he's a sixth man, he's this and that. He's, now the Knicks are going to like, totally offer him the max. Uh, Pascal Siakam. I mean, there's, for this series, I just, I'll show you how balanced this team is. Van Fleet is, uh, is averaging, you know, they, they swept the, 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 the Nets, but Van Fleet is averaging 21, Siakam 21, Habaka 19, Norman Powell 18, and Lowry 13 points. You have, you have five players that are averaging between 13 and 21. And assists, Van Fleet, eight assists, Siakam, five, Lowry, five, and Gasol, five. So you have all these players averaging the same amount. They're so well-balanced, and as they are, unlike the Bucks, they play great defense, and they play great defense against the three. So they're, that's what Brooklyn was. I mean, some of these Brooklyn players were playing, like TLC was playing really, really great shooting threes, uh, and Garrett Temple uh, weren't able to play well. But Karis LeVert, that's the other player I wanted to talk about. Boy, he came in last night at 36 points. Uh, another, if Kyrie comes back, what a great player. If you have LeVert, and you have Harris, and you have Jared Allen, uh, just a great team. Uh, but I liked how hard they played. But Toronto looks like they're rolling, and they're setting up this great series with against Boston. Ira, another year and another disappointing exit for the Philadelphia 76ers. This time not making it out of the first round. Boston does uh, suffer a little setback, though, with uh, Gordon Hayward getting injured. 
Gordon Hayward got hurt, and he's going to be out for the next series. So it's going to be tough for Boston to get through that. Last year, the Sixers lost in seven to Toronto. Two years ago, they beat Miami, but then lost to Boston in five. Um, this was, the, of course, the culmination of the process of getting Ben Simmons, who was, got hurt and could not play in the playoffs. Embiid, I said he had to be, like, really superstar. He was 30 points, 10 rebounds. He played well. And he averaged it for the series. But the Boston just has, and that's where the Kemba Walker tra- uh, signing, you know, when they, when they let Al Horford go, and it's one of the smart thing, weird things of the series. Uh, they let Al Horford go. Al Horford signs with the Sixers, and he doesn't really give the Sixers much. They bring in Kemba Walker, and Kemba Walker has been at point for the Boston has been tremendous. I mean, had 22 points in Game Two, uh, then he had 19 points in Game One. Uh, just just play great the entire series. And what did the Sixers do? They signed Tobias Harris. Uh, they gave him the max 120 million dollar contract. Really did not uh, play well at all uh, in the series, and it just it, it, it just is one of those things that just didn't. It, did, it, it didn't work out. And, and you see another mistake the Sixers made. Besides the Horford signing, they made the trade. They drafted Marco Foles. They had the first pick. They made, they made the trade uh, to, to trade up to get Foles. And they drafted him instead of picking Tatum and, uh, and, and, and made the trade. So the Celtics drafted Tatum, and they got a draft pick for the right to, to get Tatum. And, uh, and the Sixers take Foles. Foles has been a disaster. And uh, Tatum is an emerging superstar on this team with Kemba Walker and Jalen Brown. So Ira, let's, uh, by the way, this is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. Just about 10 minutes or so, maybe eight or nine minutes till we bring on uh, Jim Herman. It's going to be a great interview. Uh, he's the winner of last week's Wyndham Championship. He's going to be right here on Ira on Sports. So let's go to baseball. It, it's kind of crazy that we're like halfway through the baseball season and that's that alone is just strange. But I, I don't know what to do as a Yankee fan, Ira. And, you know, we text about this privately a lot. It's so hard to bet against the Rays any given night. And they're a team that you don't know many of the players by name. You don't see them on t- uh, you know, you don't see them in publications. But this team just wins, and the Yankees have struggled with them. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things. The Yankees were on a roll, but they played Boston every game. They'd be undefeated. <laughs> but then they go and they, they beat Boston 100 games in a row. I mean, the first time since Ted Williams was flying Jets in Korea that they won 10 straight over the Red Sox, 10 and 0 at home. And then they go and play Kansas City and lose three straight. And then their series against the Mets is postponed. But uh, look, Snell beat Tanaka for the first Yankees' first loss at home. And then uh, and then they lose 4 2 the, the second game. It was weird. Garrett Cole's on the mound. And, and the question is, why was Cole taken out of the game two outs in the seventh inning after 100? nine pitches he didn't want to leave they take him out of the game they blow that game and then they lose 10-5 in the third game so boy the, the Rays might have I still think the Yankees when they get everyone healthy because Glaber Torres goes on the DL Paxton goes on the DL uh but DJ I really LeMahieu, think they'll get yes, Oh, my gosh, everybody. But now Judge is supposedly coming back. Uh, it's almost good that the Yankees lost all – the series against the Mets was wiped out because you think that the players – I keep saying these players are going to get healthy, but they get healthy and then other people get hurt. I've never seen a team get have more injuries than, than, the, uh, than the Yankees. It, it's crazy what they've been through so far. But like you said, with the, now a little layoff, let's hope everybody comes back healthy uh, for when it counts. Going to the AL Central, we still see the, uh, the Twins just uh, crushing it there. And uh, they're another team that's going to be gunning for the World Series. Yeah, it was, it was fun during the week. Whenever someone's doing a no-hitter, Kenta Maeda from the Dodgers, who was at a no-hitter yeah. in the ninth inning, lost it on the first batter. Uh, but the Cubs, Jose Abreu, it seemed like he was hitting four home runs in like four straight at-bats. He had seven home runs, 15 RBIs, player of the week. The White Sox, when was the last time we said the White Sox are playing great? But they <laughs> four straight against Detroit, two or three against the Cubs. And as people thought, I mean, this is like the division where the Twins are probably going to win the division. Indians and White Sox both get in the playoffs. 
And then let's go out to the West, and it's it's the West Coast Rays, the Oakland Athletics, and just always performing well with with less than uh, less than stellar talent. Yeah, I mean, Oakland's twenty and nine. The Astros are four and a half games back. Uh, the Angels are a disaster. They, everyone, I thought, as I thought, the Angels were going to play better this year, and that so they were two and five this week. And the only thing exciting for the Angels' perspective is that Albert Pujols tied a rod with two thousand eighty six RBIs uh, for second place in the history of baseball. He has six hundred fifty nine home runs, one away from Willie Mays at six sixty. And, and Mike Trout has ten home runs in fourteen games, and still the, the Angels are terrible. But uh, but the Astros lose uh, Alvarez. Uh, their their um, you know, they're great young player out yeah, probably out for the season. Yeah, but uh, I'll tell you what, Oakland, Oakland, you're right, Oakland and Tampa. These two teams, no-name players, low payrolls, and they both have 20 wins. Crazy. <laughs> and Iret does stand to be mentioned, which we'll talk a little bit about the unwritten rules of baseball and what happened between the Padres and the Rangers last week. But it does stand to be mentioned the Rangers haven't won a game since they made that, that stink, losing four to the Mariners, who were the worst team in the West. So maybe a little bit of karma there for the unwritten rules. Let's talk about uh, move to the NL, go to the NL East here. And the Braves, this is a team that we all thought were going to be good, and we're seeing it as the Mets and the and the Nationals and Phillies, who we thought were going to be good, have really kind of been just pedestrian. 11-11. The Mets are 12-14. Nats 11-14. Phillies 12-14. They're all in it. Because they take the two teams in the division. So even though the Braves are going to win this division, the fact that someone else has to win it, like someone else is going to make the playoffs. So all these teams still have a chance. And then one of them, even the National League, might get the wild card, which is crazy as it might seem, uh, and get a wild card. And if you're the Mets and you have DeGrom pitching in one of those, uh, the, the best of three series, that gives you a huge advantage going into that. Uh, so that's crazy that you're going to have that. Uh, but it was like, yeah, the Marlins, uh, they, they lost three to the Mets and they were two and two versus the Nats. I think the Marlins have gone, come back to earth in terms of everything. It was nice to see, uh, 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 you know, in terms of winning some games, but that, the nice start that Marlins had, but they really have, have come back to earth in terms of whatever. There was a neat thing, uh, the Nationals project, uh, prospect, Luis Garcia. He was born in May 16, 2000. He's the first-born person in 2000 to hit a home run. And I was like, wow. I was like looking at the stats, and, and Albert Pujols was the first person born in 1980 to hit a home run, uh, Pudge Rodriguez in 1970, and Sterling Castro in 1990. So you, know, you expect some of these players, the first one born would be a younger player. That'd be great. But it was interesting to see a lot of these big-name players were, the quote, the first person born in their decade uh, to hit that home run. Um, so let's uh, go to the uh, NL Central here and – I didn't think Chicago would be this good. I thought the Brewers would be better, but here we see Chicago uh, doing pretty pretty darn good three games up on us, uh, St. Louis. Yeah, when the Brewers lose, when you lose to the Pirates, you're bad. The Brewers are playing <laughs> terrible. The Reds and Brewers at 11-15 are terrible. The Cubs are 17-10. I mean, this is a great year to be in Chicago. you got the White Sox and the Cubs both playing great. And, uh, I mean, you Darvish. Five, he's going to win. He might win Cy Young this year. He's 5-1 and one with a 1.80 ERA, pitching great. And uh, for the Cubs, and the Cubs have these veterans, Kyle Hendricks and Lester, uh, at 17-10. and 10, just a, just So they were 3-2 they were against the Cards and 1-2 against the Sox, but they're still holding on to that lead. But it's, uh, I think what's the shocking thing is the Brewers. Everybody, a lot of people thought Brewers were going to the World Series this year. And, boy, haven't they haven't looked at it. You know, you say first half of the season, 11-15. Uh, that's uh, it, it, Really, some of these teams, you don't have that, oh, you're slow in April and May like the Nats were last year. You don't have that time to come back and start playing great. Going to the NL West, your Dodgers are looking pretty good, but got to keep their eyes in the rearview mirror here as uh, you got seven games in a row won by San Diego and the Giants have reeled off six in a row. 
<laughs> it is amazing. The Dodgers are tremendous. I do watch those games. I have them in the league pass, and they are fun to watch. I mean, they are. They just, they're so good. They are just, they're getting, because they have the pitching. They have something the Yankees don't have. And now I'm starting to get a little more confident because you're getting bats hitting. Bellinger hit some key home runs. Uh, like, again, I guess on Tuesday, they were trailing Seattle 8-6, but they scored five runs in the seventh. Um, they actually, it was interesting. Corey Seager for the Dodgers and Kyle Seager for Seattle, the brothers, the first time played against each other. It was only, but it was the tenth time two brothers hit a home run in the same game, which I thought that was an interesting stat. The weird thing is Kershaw's pitching great this year. He's, he's, he's throwing, he's uh, like two miles an hour faster on his fastball, but he's using other pitchers. People are saying he hasn't looked as good as well in years. And, uh, but then you got the Padres and uh, just, you know, winning. They were 7-0 and for the week. They swept Texas. They, you know, went through Texas and beat Texas and Houston. And Fernando Tatis, I mean, people were waiting for Fernando Tatis last year. You know, great rookie. Now this year, he's just he was rookie. He was the, uh, you know, swinging home runs after home runs. The, the Padres had three straight games where they hit a grand slam home run. First time since 1885 that a team did that. Uh, boy, the, I saw the Padres play Marlins last year, and you're like, boy, they have a lot of good young players on this team. And they got Machado. And I remember what they said. They got, we got Machado a year too early. That was their GM said, boy, was he right. But they had to sign him, and now he's, you know, he's playing great for the, for the Padres too. So great signing for the Padres. And uh, what are they? They're, they're on a roll. So, Ira, let's uh, let's quickly talk about what happened last week because it was it, it kind of everyone in sports was talking about this and everyone had their own take on the unwritten rule of what Fernando Tatis Jr. should have done versus the Texas Rangers. Yeah, well, it was a three zero pitch and a ten three. So the, it was a it was a ten. They're up ten three blowout in the eighth inning. It was ten three. It wasn't like a hundred and three. It was a, it was a three zero pitch, and I did not rule know that you were not allowed to swing. Bases loaded, ten three, uh, and he swung. Well, that's what you're supposed to do in the seventh inning. And he hit a grand slam home run. Everybody got mad. Uh, Texas was furious that this happened. This is awful. And then I read where Kingler, the Padres manager, he goes, I had to talk to Fernando about this. What do you mean talk to? <laughs> I mean, it would, it would be better for Fernando Tatis to, like, fly out to right field and jog to the dugout and just walk. Like, what? He hits a grand slam home run. Like, you're only up seven runs. Like, what are you supposed to do? If you don't want him in the game, then put a reserve in the game. That is the most – this was – I could not believe that people – there was an unwritten rule that on a 10th game and all have to swing at a pitch that's I mean, one thing about stealing a base which i still think these unwritten rules are stupid but that has to be the dumbest thing to, to i mean you're in the game and what's the matter with trying to swing you're only up seven runs i mean we've seen the dodgers i just told you about the dodgers score five runs in the seventh and come back that's not seven runs is not insurmountable in baseball today and then and not to let them split but why not let someone swing if you don't want them to swing don't have them in a the game no absolutely i agree and this is a, this is this guy's job is to hit balls. So it's 3-0. He's supposed to just let an easy meatball down the pipe. Now it's 3-1. Is, is he allowed to swing now? And what happens if, like you said, the next inning, Texas scores five runs. And when Tatis comes back up, are you going to give him a meatball to make up for the one he didn't swing at? Because now they're in contention. It's just ridiculous. You're in the box to, to hit the ball, and he did that that as best as they possibly could. And it obviously stirred something up for the Padres because they've now won seven games in a row. So, yeah, this unwritten rule thing. And I'm a, I'm a baseball purist. I, I don't want cameras and instant replays and stuff like that. But it's just getting ridiculous now. Um, Ira, we got to fly here. Uh, we need to talk about golf here on Iron Sports. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Northern Trust is this weekend. It's very it's very easy to talk about what happened. First of all, I was going going crazy. I think that this is the one tournament where like Thursday and Friday was the most interesting days because uh, Dustin Johnson and 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 this should be the rule. If Dustin Johnson has it going on, it's going because he saw it. 
uh, 30 under par, 11-shot lead, largest margin of victory since Phil Mickelson won by 13 in 2006 at, at the TPC at Sugarloaf. Claude Harmon, his coach, said he's the best he's ever looked. He hit almost every green in regulation in the last four holes. And he was up five strokes going into Sunday and just it took it further. And, but if you look in the World Golf Championship last year, he, has, he won by five, 21 under, five strokes over Rory. In 2018 in St. Jude, he won by six strokes. The Century Classic 2018, he won eight strokes over John Rahm. And the Genesis, I was at that tournament. He won by five strokes. So when, when Dustin Johnson likes the tournament, likes everything, he's only had one major, but boy, I mean, you're just waiting for him to go to like one of these majors and win by like, you know, Tiger Woods, like, like margins. I mean, it was just a, it was tremendous. And I think the round two, so Scott Scheffler, uh, was an 11th player to hit a, a score of 59. That was during the day. And then I started watching Dustin Johnson, and I'm like going nuts. I'm tweeting this out. I mean, he was 9 under through 8. I mean, he went, he started birdie, eagle, birdie, eagle, birdie. And so he was like, you know, he was set where he just had to go 3 under like the last uh, 7 holes, and he would have like a 57 and set the all-time record at 3 birdies in the last 6 holes. He ended up just shooting a 60. Just shooting a 60. <laughs> uh, but that was, that was exciting. And, and I think what the key thing of the day was Tiger and Rory that just made it on the cut line at three under, and uh, and then they and, and what's interesting this is a this field was set up for the next. It was 125 people in this field. Next week there's 70 at the BM Championships in Chicago, and uh, Jordan Spieth misses the cut, and now he's out of the playoffs. This is actually three years since his last one. Tony Finau missed the cut. He was playing next week, but Shane Lowry last year's British Open missed the cut. He's out of the playoffs. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau missed the cut but he's still in it. Phil Mickelson misses the cut and just missed the playoffs, so he's not even playing next week. Uh, so, and uh, Sergey missed the cut, and uh, Morikawa had a double bogey on the 18th. He missed the cut. Of course, he's still in the playoffs, but then you, but, you know, it's just interesting. Uh, Ricky Fowler out of the playoffs, uh, 94. Tommy Fleetwood out of the playoffs. Justin Rode, uh, Rose out of the playoffs. So it just shows you how, like, this cuts down, and then after next week, the top 30 golfers, so they go from 70 to 30. Uh, but it was just, it was like one of those things where now DJ has taken we talked about these number one in the rankings. DJ is now number one, John Rahm number two, Justin Thomas falls to three, and Rory four and Morikawa five. But then the FedEx rankings, the way they do it now, it's like this FedEx points rankings. The points are different than the overall. Dustin Johnson and Dustin Thomas are one, two in the FedEx, and uh, they'll play next week. And then they reset the, for the tour championships. So the winner, uh, the person who's going into the tour championships as a leader will have like start as an advantage. It'll be like a, have a four-stroke lead or something like that. But it is amazing that in this tournament that I think Tiger finished at uh, six under and Rory finished like two under and, and, and Dustin Johnson was at 30 under. I mean, he was 27. I mean, it's like spotting him a seven-stroke handicap throughout the, from Rory. I mean, it's like he wasn't beating nobodies. He's beating the best golfers in the world and running away with it. Uh, just an amazing performance by Dustin Johnson. I mean, these par fives were, I mean, he was eagling every par five it seemed like. It was a masterful performance. There's no other way uh, to look at that. And it was very exciting to watch him uh, all throughout the weekend. We were, I was glued to it, even though you knew exactly what was going to happen. You just couldn't turn away. Uh, let's go to your champion of the 2020 Wyndham Championship, Jim Herman, here on Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports. We have Jim Herman on. Uh, Jim, two weeks ago, won the Wyndham at Greensboro. We had him on our show before the Honda Classic uh, in March, before the shutdown. And congratulations, Jim, on your third career PGA Tour victory. Yeah, thank you, Ira. It's uh, pretty, uh, pretty amazing, you know. Um, you know, we're all out there grinding every week, and uh, you know, we all we all are trying to win every week. But to uh, sit down here about ten years or so and to come out on top three times uh, definitely uh, exceeded my expectations on uh, <laughs> for the tour. 
Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. When you put it in perspective, Ricky Fowler has only won five times on the tour. So we think of Ricky Fowler as this whatever, and he's only won five. This is your third career victory. Um, and the Wyndham Field was, was great. I mean, Brooks was in that, Jordan Spee, Sergio Fleetwood, Patrick Reed, uh, Webb Simpson, and, and Billy Horschel. And uh, uh, I remember watching, you know, I was following, of course, I, I follow you now that you're on my show, but on Friday you had the birdie three of the last holes, four holes, just to even make the cut. For the for the for Saturday and Sunday, yeah, no, a great field. I think uh, with this um, with the COVID and the restart, you know, losing some events. Uh, you know, I think most events this year have been pretty well packed with top ten players. Um, you know, obviously we had um, a lot of great players, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's not easy every week out there. I mean, you reference Ricky Fowler; he's he's a, a outstanding and a world-class player and uh you know with just the five victories it just shows it's, it's not easy to come out on top um week in week out and uh you know he's right there i'd, I'd gladly trade trade my career for his obviously a couple more wins and uh, a few more wins worldwide and all that but his uh performances in majors are definitely something i would love to uh love to have i think he finished second or in the top two or three and all majors already, and uh, he's going to break through on one of them. But every every week, it's it's a it's world class fields, and uh, like I said, uh, definitely have exceeded my expectations for my uh, for my golf career. And then on Saturday, we saw this past week at the Northern Trust, everyone going low, the sixties, and the, you know those with Dustin Johnson, the fifty nines. Um, and you had a 61 at that with Wyndham on Saturday, nine birdies, no bogeys, uh, you know, one of your best rounds, I'm sure, ever. Uh, how did it feel to, like, you just barely made the cut on Friday and then shoot that 61 on Saturday? Yeah, I think with, um, with myself at, at Wyndham, it was nice to get that early time. I know we had some weather in the area. Uh, didn't really expect Saturday to be played without some kind of stoppage. We had weather all around us, but, uh, you know, I, I was right around the middle of the pack. I, I had birdied those holes on Friday just to make, you know, to get in, in the, in the, onto the weekend. And, uh, I think I was like in the mid thirties going in, we had a split T start. So offer early. I knew if I was going to have any chance of moving on to the, uh, FedEx, I had to get in the mix, but really that wasn't, uh, even a thought that that Saturday morning, it was just, all right, let's, let's play well on the weekend and uh, try to have as good a finish as we can and just get some confidence and, uh, you know, make a little money and uh, get the confidence going for uh, the break. I was planning on having a, you know, three, three weeks off through the playoffs and not making that. And uh, it's going to come back out at Safeway and get started in the, you know, the new season. So, you know, winning was, not there. I mean, obviously, you know, if you can put something great up on the weekend, you can move up the board. But, uh, you know, to, to think that I had any chance of winning on Saturday morning when I was going off, I would, you know, I'd be lying if I told you, you know, I'm going to go shoot nine under and seven under and I'm going to be holding the trophy here. Um, so <laughs> and, it's just pretty cool. You, know, you never know what can happen on a weekend. So you always want to be on the weekend. So on Sunday, you're four back going into Sunday and you get, you're into this. Horse race then with Billy Herschel, Herschel, 
who, you know, great golfer in his own right. And it seemed like, you know, when you've got, when you made your birdie on 15, uh, to tie him, he, he birdies the next hole. He was playing behind you. And, but it was similar when you won at Barbasol, when you were, you were like one stroke behind Kelly Craft and came back on and won, and won that time. And, uh, then there was that big swing on 16. He bogeyed on 16. And then you got, uh, you got birdie on 17, uh, to take that, uh, to take that lead. Uh, did you know where he was in the, did, because I, I guess you don't hear the fans now because there's no fans. Did you have a sense of where you were in the leaderboard while you were playing uh, 17 and 18? Yeah, I, I had an idea. I knew uh, to go back to the early part of the round, I knew I had to get off to a good start to have any chance. You know, you're four back. You got to get, you know, something good going on the front nine just to, and, and you know, not, ho- not hoping or anything that the leaders struggle, but, you know, you got you to gotta get, you know, somewhere close, you know, two or three back or something going to the back nine. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know who it was going to be. You know, I knew I could get off that good start four under through five and, um, you know, and then Billy, Billy was playing great as well. And, uh, you know, he matched the Eagle I made on, on five and, uh, um, but yeah, going to the back nine, I, some difficult holes to start 10, 11, 12 or, pretty difficult uh, holes if you could sneak a birdie in there that'd be great but uh made that birdie on 13 i thought i i would be somewhere near it really um started looking at the board and i, I saw the shots come in from billy behind me and uh, uh he had knocked one in there close as well made that birdie uh made the birdie on 15 he matched the birdie on 15 so i knew i was one back uh on six on 16 and uh wanted to really um put one in there close and I was able to, but I couldn't make the putt. So I, I really thought I had to make that putt on 16. Wasn't, uh, wasn't going to be able to, um, um, catch him if I didn't make that. So that, that was a, uh, that was a big putt I missed. I thought I really missed an opportunity there. And then, uh, so I, I knew I still won back on 17 and then to stuff it in there close. I didn't know what Billy did, um, on 17 until, um, I got on, on, on 16 until I got on the green on 17. And, uh, you know, to knock it in there close, kind of a two-shot swing, he was up. Now I'm up, you know, going to 18. Um, again, still didn't know what he did on 17 while I'm playing 18. So I just knew I need to give myself every opportunity here and uh, to, to make a birdie or at least at a minimum a par, and I'm going to have a good chance to win this thing. So you, and you're in the tent, you know, scoring, and then you saw him. I mean, his putt on 18, it, when he hit it, I thought it was going to go in. It was going to have a playoff, but then he just misses by an inch, and, and then you're the winner. Yeah, it's, it, it goes quickly. Uh, you know, that time from 18 green, I'm reading that putt, and, uh, you know, I know the scenario now. It's, uh, I know if I can make this, I'm going to win. And, um, you know, it, it – it, you put everything you have, and I thought I made the putt. I, I hit it where I wanted. I hit the speed I wanted. You don't make it, and then now it's just the waiting game, and now you don't know. It's out of your control. I've never been in that scenario before. My two other wins, I was in the final group. I knew exactly what was going on. Um, so, yeah, all you can do is sit and wait and watch, and, um, you know, it's not in your hands, and, you know, you're not rooting against anybody. You're just you're just watching. So uh, I did my part. I did anything I could, and um, and then you wait and you watch. And um, Billy hit a good putt. It didn't go in, and 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 that's it. I'm a winner. No no playoffs. It was uh, 
pretty amazing. I was a little, you know, I guess it came, everyone likes to say you, you look so nervous in the tent. I guess when you can't do anything about it, you get a little nervous. I'm sure that's how everybody was at home, all my family and friends watching, you know, they're, they're nervous because they can't control it. So you're just, you're just a fan then and you're just watching. Um, so I guess I, uh, it came off a little nervous, but it's a good nervous, you know. <laughs> you're always in a, in, in, your, in a and it got you in like the that. Northern Nothing Trust. Bad can you're in you're now, were you, you, are you driving now from Boston to Chicago to BMW? Or are you because now you're in the second, you're the second uh, playoff. Uh, I mean, the second FedEx Playoff Cup event. Yeah, I'm just pulling into into Chicago now, and um, last week was okay. I didn't. It was a tough course for me. I, um, really long Dustin played great but I you know I was still had the emotions and everything going on from the wind so I I can just I can just chalk it up to that and uh now I'm here I'm in Chicago ready to go this week um top 70 I need a I need a good finish to move on to the top 30 so I got nothing to lose just go out and play play my game and see what happens well, it's a top 70 event and there's no cut. So, you know, you have four, four rounds to try to, you know, shoot someone at some of these great 61s that you're talking about. Um, but give us a sense. What is it like without, I mean, I know you're not in the Tiger Woods level where the fans are following you all over, but you do hear the fans on the course. You are around it. You play in groups with, with these large crowds and gatherings. What is it to be out there without the fans and, and just some marshals and some workers that are out there on the course? Yeah, it, it, it is difficult. You, you, um, especially when you're in the mix Thursday and Friday, it's not that big a deal, but when you're, you're in the lead groups and you're coming down the stretch, you're looking for that, especially at Sedgefield, there are a lot of uphill and down or a lot of uphill shots and you don't know how close you are. So you hit shots, especially that shot on 18. I mean, that would have been a, a tremendous roar and, uh, um, you know, just the galleries have been going crazy and, um, you know, you don't have that. So that, that was just missing, you know, then having the added bonus of having some family or friends there and uh, to celebrate with, that was that was missing. So just a little, it's a little different. We're all dealing with it. And, um, you know, we all just hope that uh, we can get this COVID behind us, you know, in the world and uh, maybe get a vaccine and we'll get some sports back to normal, get schools and all that back to normal. So we're just all praying for that. I know that. Well, I got to give credit to the golfers. I mean, of all the sports, you guys were the first, one of the probably the first with UFC to, to come back. Um, you played. I mean, the seriousness that all the players are taking. I think the competition has been fantastic uh, for all these events. And really, I mean, it's just it's a credit to you guys out there. Um, I think just the seriousness you take this. The, you know, you are professionals. I understand that, but you know, other sports is professionals too. But I think it, uh, from my perspective, it seems like you guys have really, and it's been great for people who really, you know, struggling with everything. It's, it's just a nice diversion on the you know thursday friday saturday sunday to, to watch some great golf matches yeah i think it is and that's how we got to look at it we're very we're very blessed each and every one of us to be out here but at this time it's nice to go out and entertain and uh you know show the show the world the pj tour some fans that maybe aren't don't watch all the time so it's uh nice to be showcased and uh um you know get out there and you know maybe we get some new fans out of it that that if, if anything we could get that well, the, the ratings have been fantastic, and I know, Jim, you're really busy. Thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. 
Good luck today, uh, uh, this week at the BMW in Chicago, and hopefully you'll make the tour championships in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, we love you in West Palm Beach, and I know you're coming back to Palm City, but we, you know, can't wait to talk to you before uh, the Honda Classic next year. Hopefully there'll be, you know, the 200,000 fans they usually get at the Honda, and uh, as one of the last events, as you know, before the shutdown was the Honda and then Bay Hill. So we hope to, hope to talk to you, you know, before the Honda next year. Yep, I look forward to it, and uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, yep, we'll see you. We'll see you before the Honda for sure. Great stuff there from Jim Herman here on Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, we were talking. It, it, you know, hockey is the sport where you see upsets. You see eight seeds beat one seeds, and like last year, win the Stanley Cup as an eight seed. And basketball is quite the opposite. And then this year, we might have the opposite of that, as it does seem like the better teams are rolling. Uh, the Flyers just absolutely devastated Montreal. That team shouldn't have even been there. They're going to get the Islanders, though. And I said on the show, I wasn't going to be surprised if the Islanders beat the, Cap- uh, Islanders beat the Capitals. They did handily. They destroyed the Capitals. And it was interesting to see. So I think the Islanders are going to give the Flyers a lot of trouble here. Boston is playing Tampa, and this is going to be the firepower series of all of them. Boston got a win last night. They're going up one nothing, but I don't put anything beside Tampa, so I think this one will go seven games. The matchup in the West to watch has to be Dallas and Colorado. Colorado has the most exciting line and power play in all of hockey. Dallas plays great defense, so this one should be going seven games as well. Dallas is up there, and then Vegas, uh, Vegas Golden Knights, they just look solid every single night they go out there. They're playing Vancouver, and it looks like uh, I, I can't see this one going seven. I'm thinking maybe five or six. Vegas should uh, take this one. They are up one nothing right now. Ira, auto racing's going on, and yesterday was the Indy 500, and I had people that I didn't even know watch sports texting me about the Indy 500. I was at, I was in an island, Shelter Island, sitting there, and I'm with a group of eight people, and they all know, you know, I love sports, and I'm going to be watching all this. And then sitting around me were like four other people with their iPhones out watching the Indy 500, which I thought was Crazy. great. I mean, it was all into it. <laughs> uh, the pre-show was great. Marco Andretti was on the poll. Everybody knows about Mario Andretti in 1980, won the title, and his son Michael, who is so Mar- uh, Mario, is Marco's. Uh, uh, um, grandson and Marco was Mario's grandson and it was just the Andretti family and he was on the pole and everything and that so that led some excitement and I really like what the racers did they actually went to Indianapolis walked through went through the towns socially had their mask on so they're socially distanced and let people uh, take pictures with the trophy and those things so it's it was it's look this is one of the best spectacles in sports it's one thing I have to go to and it's nice to see what they were able to do with the fans but so I'm listening to the race I was watching the race and then I ended up watching basketball so I'm trying, trying to do both at the same time on a boat, which is very hard to do. But I loved hearing like the last 20 rap, laps of the, of the race to listen to it on Sirius Island Radio. It was, it was awesome. And Takuma Sato uh, held off Scott Dixon. Uh, so Sato won his second title. Scott Dixon won in 2008. And he took the lead with 173 laps to go, with 100, 173rd laps with uh, 27 to go. And with like he started pulling away. And it's like he was going to, he was just, you know, going super fast and pulling around Dixon. But then he went into the lap cars and that gave a chance to Dixon to cut that lead. And he was cutting closer, closer, closer. But with like three laps to go, Spencer Bego crashed. And it was such a horrendous crash in terms of the field. They actually had to stop the race then. So there was really no ending of the race. But Takuma Sato from Japan held off Scott Dixon and uh, is the 2020 Indianapolis 500 winner. And, uh, and it was, uh, it was a, you know, a very exciting race. And a start, this usually, of course, is run on uh, Memorial Day weekend. And now it's run almost on Labor Day weekend. And then what about uh, NASCAR? 
Well, you know, we've been talking about Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick. <laughs> These are two. If there was ever two top teams in any sport, I mean, it's like they are alternating wins. That Harvick's now won seven of the fourteen races since the restart. Denny Hamlin won the Saturday race. Harvick won the Sunday race. And uh, now they have one more race before Daytona is going to Daytona, and then they have the playoffs, uh, the ten race playoff that the NASCAR has. And Jimmy Johnson, the seven times champion in his last year, is on that bubble for that for those one of those sixteen uh, teams in it. So it's next Saturday night they're going to have Daytona. But uh, uh, Hamlin and, and Dover, uh, just a just a great again a great win. These two are. I mean, Harvick had that on Sunday uh, for him. Uh, just uh, you know, he's won. I said fifty percent of the races since the restart. <laughs> um, finally, horse racing, Ira. And I gotta tell you, you know, I'm a big horse racing fan. You are too. This is going to be a little weird to me. Uh, one thing that's weird is the Derby always fills out all 20 of their spots. I mean, they've got usually three or four horses ready to go for the scratches. We don't know if we're getting a 20-horse field this year, and that's only going to make the, the price on the winner who's pr- or the favorite go down even more because of less competition. Tis the Law is so the horse to beat, and he's beaten most of these horses already. So I, I'm really finding it hard to bet against him. I think Authentic has a chance, and you might get a price on him, but I don't know what your thoughts are, and I think hopefully we can get someone on next week to, uh, you know, an insider to fill us in a little more. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, definitely this is going to be, they, they thought they were going to have fans at the Kentucky Derby. Now there's no fans. At the, I mean, fans at the Dolphins game and none at the Derby. Um, but anyway, I think everything's different. But no, we're going to, we'll have someone on next week to preview it. Um, of course, Law won the Belmont. Uh, and I guess, I guess you know, one of the art collector. And then Honor AP, who won the Santa Anita Derby uh, and really has, so it'd be interesting to see if Honor AP, after winning that, can then come and win the Derby. But uh, no, it, it, it's going to be exciting. We, you know, horse racing is huge here in, uh, Palm Beach County and uh, with the interest in it but uh, without fans in the stands the whole spectacle uh, that's why we had the Indy 500 now the Kentucky Derby but um, yeah it's amazing two weeks away Kentucky Derby Ira so what are we watching this week? Everything. There's everything on. Look, the B. I think look, the B. The, the BMW championships are going to be great for golf. I mean, this is we got the BMW championships, and the Tour championships, and then the U.S. Open, and that's sort of it. And then we have Masters in November, which is going to be crazy. So you have just really like three more golf uh, championships left, and before and and so we got tons of the NBA playoffs. It'll be exciting to see. Boy, that Dallas series is going to be great, um, and, and and see how that could kind of finish. And the Lakers in Portland going to have trouble, uh, but it's great. I'm going to watch some tennis. Uh, it's everything going on and i'm pumped for another exciting week of sports we are out of time i want to thank jim herman so much for popping by on behalf of ira i'm mike let's talk next monday night ira on sports